the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 3. We do so as we do every Tuesday. Not always Hour 3, usually Hour 3, but we do every Tuesday or try to when he's in town. We do it with uh, Hugh Holman, who is an attorney in town. He is the former mayor of Tempe. He is an educator. He is many things. And uh, it is a delight to have you, Hugh. Um, I'll warn you on a half on a half half a point, I'm going to have a piece of unexpected fun for you uh, later in the show. Uh, so uh, be prepared for a little bit of fun. Uh, but I'm not going to tell you any more about it. So just have your fun, have your fun cushion inflated. Uh, well, in, in fact, we used to call those whoopee cushions, yeah. but all right. <laughs> Uh, I'm not quite sure whether or not you were referring to me or to the audience. Who We're going to have fun with you and the audience. All right. Very good. Well, I wanted to pick up on your monologue from the first hour, uh, which, ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't hear the first hour, I commend to your attention the uh, KKNT website to listen to this monologue because it's a little lighter in tone than Seth's usual uh, effort, but listening to him... Uh, it 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 helps to bring it within the grasp of some people who might otherwise have missed it. Now, it's not this audience, but as it gets promulgated throughout the universe. And it's about the fact that we've got a continuing process of undermining the concept of Western civilization and the the ideals on which this entire society are based, that that it's not enough to change the founding of our society from 1776 as the modern America uh, and change that to uh, 1619 because everything is about slavery. Uh, but now the university in Northern California called Stanford University, Leland Stanford's uh, namesake, um, wants to eliminate even the use of the word American Because it belittles people who might be from or are from the other 42 countries in the Americas. Um, And so by referring to somebody as an American, it therefore diminishes everyone else who might be from Mexico or Peru or any other country that happens to be located in the Americas. Um, In that sense, building from that, I think your monologue brilliantly touches on how Slowly but surely, we're seeing people devise systems by which they're going to take apart the entire bases of the existence of this society, that if you're going to destroy this society, as Abraham Lincoln advised us in his speech to the Lyceum, it is not going to be because the Communist Party succeeds in the Soviet Union. It is going to be because we will be the author and finisher of our own destruction. It will be by here. (laughs) Can I say it that way? Because the Communist Party will succeed here. That's correct. Okay. And, And interestingly... Uh, My mother was of the philosophy uh, that I have always shared that we had to allow communists espouse a policy and political view that they could destroy this country and stop others from speaking and that we had to allow them to advocate for terminating the speech of others who disagreed with them. 
that that is an entire basis of this society and the philosophy here is that free speech and the opportunity to exchange ideas is the very font by which we create the best results and best ideas. And those concepts come out of a Western tradition, (gasps) Western tradition, that really is European and ancient Greece and other sources, but it includes built into those societies concepts out of the Middle East. We talked uh, last uh, time I was here in the second hour last week about the Kodoha Marabai coming out of uh, out of uh, what is now Iraq and Iran, effectively, and that uh, 4,000 years ago, we've got people putting together the concepts of justice and law and the notion that if there is law, it implies that people have to be treated equally. That is the basis of the concept of law. And so now we've got people who decide that that Western civilization and the premises on which it is based are anathema to a society that's open and and contemplative and accepting uh, and diverse with no notion of judgment. That monologue, I think, touches brilliantly on the efforts going on right now at one of our major universities to take away the very basis for the conversation. And yet what I think it touches on is that we're now creating increasingly safe spaces at universities for students who have been raised in environments where the concept of conflict is a negative thing. And it strikes me that there is an analogy to what we've been through for the last two and a half years with COVID. The COVID menches wanted to uh, make sure that we protected ourselves against the spread of this disease and continued to propagate the fallacy that the disease could be stopped. Those of us who understand how biology works and how the world works advocated for the fact that does it make sense that you try to slow the disease so you don't overwhelm your medical systems? Yes. Can we protect people who are most at risk until we have better treatments so that they are less likely to die? Yes. All of that kind of material we advocated for. But at the end of the day, everybody's going to get exposed to it. There's not a way to stop the propagation of the disease around the planet Because around the planet, we don't have the kinds of control systems that either the United States attempted to put in place or China more successfully did, welding people's apartment doors shut so that they could not leave their homes. Well, now China is having visited upon it the results one would expect, that as the disease continues to move around the globe, those people who have never been exposed to it will now be exposed to it. Maybe it will be a more mild version of the virus which is highly likely based on the bio- biological motivations we've talked about, that, that successful uh, viruses and biological bits uh, tend to get more mild because those that succeed in killing their host quickly don't propagate. You've got to have your host survive your attack in order to spread to other hosts. Well, here we've got a disease where we, uh, some people thought we could stop it in its tracks and think that it would be eliminated from society. We've done that successfully a couple of times with diseases, and yet they still pop up every now and again. You, you once, uh, I think a year ago, talked about uh, San Francisco and Haight-Ashbury giving rise to diseases we'd long thought were gone because people decided that being cool and hip and, uh, and lazing around on dirty mattresses wouldn't lead them to getting scabies. Uh, in this instance, 
your monologue is touching on the fact that we've got an entire university seeking to protect students and others from language that they might find offensive. And in the same way, we have a disease that some folks thought they could protect others from that is continuing to assert itself around the planet. And those who have not been infected ever are having the same kinds of outcomes that those who were affected in, infected a year and a half ago are. So, yes, you've slowed the spread. That was a good thing, so we could keep our hospitals from being overwhelmed. But interestingly, the unintended consequence was that we had that effect not just on COVID, but on flu and RSV and other diseases that are transmitted similarly to the transmission of COVID. And suddenly we have CNN headlines about the fact that our hospitals are being overwhelmed again by pulmonary viruses, uh, RSV, flu, COVID, and other things, precisely because the protections we had in place over the last two years reduced the spread of those other diseases and my premise would be, allowed the natural protections we had, the immunities we had, to diminish more than they would have typically year to year. And so people who are now getting the flu are having worse cases of the flu. People who are getting infected with RSV are having worse responses. And that is a direct unintended consequence of the over-assertion of authority and steps that were taken with respect to the reduction of COVID. Unintended, but predictable. But predictable. Yep. And we're predicted here on right. this show. Right. And the, the reality is it's, very, it's very, very similar. We now have generations of kids who were protected from conflict on the game fields. Mm -hmm. They were protected from experiencing the outdoors, protected from riding their bicycles or going to the store, or otherwise being subjected to risk in life. And they now are, I think the common use is, Snowflakes. These are people who are now so fragile that they're appearing in university and universities are having to provide courses that teach them how to deal with real life and the universe, how to understand and process conflict in a positive way. These are things that would have been learned by people had they been subjected to a regular uh, upra uh, uh, upraising the, a childhood that subjected them in safer environments, but not completely safe environments, to the risks of being human and to the, the activity that takes place in the human condition and within the environment. And I think that analogy and what your monologue has done to talk about that is exactly what we as conservatives and philosophers need to focus on in the coming years to regain the ground to protect the base of this society. Oliver Wendell Holmes once said that a, a page of history is worth a volume of logic. Uh, that having been said, you just proved him wrong. You, um, you gave such a volume of logic there on so many fronts. Bill, save it for a best of somehow. That, that, that was one of the best extemporaneous series of thoughts. I'd like to go through them seriatim with you when we come back in order uh, because – there was a volume of logic there. I'd like to walk through each of those pieces with you. We'll do that when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Hugh Hallman is our guest. If you missed his opening, he's always very kind about my opening comments. I need to reciprocate not only because it's appropriate but also deserve it. If you missed his opening comments in the last segment, 
they're one for the ages. Uh, and again, if you're hearing this uh, in your car and want to go back, 960thepatriot.com. been getting a lot of emails lately of people saying, where can I get some of the stuff you mentioned? 960thepatriot.com, under my name, it has everything that's ever said on this show. Uh, you can access it anytime, 24-7, and uh, gratis for free. All right, Hugh, let me walk through as best I can and 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 push uh, a little bit uh, with you some of the things you outlined. Uh, push on, I, not not out of disagreement, but thoughts you gave me as you were talking. So we started with uh, this uh, revelation that Stanford University has now uh, disseminated a list of words that uh, they would like banned from the campus, not to be used by students, faculty, or administration, and it's a whole series of words. The one we were talking about was they don't want the word American being used anymore and their rationale as they state it. And I'm not sure it's entirely honest the way they're stating it. I bet it has a dual purpose. But the reason they're stating it is, quote, this term often refers to people from the United States only, thereby insinuating that the U.S. is the most important country in the Americas, which is actually made up of 42 countries. My guess is that very few people in the world who use the word American, uh, have that insinuation or intent when they use it. Uh, I think they're just using it adjectivally or descriptively, sometimes as a noun, but sometimes as an adjective. I don't think they mean to diminish 41 other countries. And I said in the last segment, 42 other countries, and of course it is 41. Yes, that's right. By the time we're done, it'll be 43. Um, I I believe it is. All of whom have sent people across the border this morning. Right, (laughs) exactly. I do believe it is more in line with uh, reducing uh, and diminishing the notion of what America as a concept stands for. And uh, more along the lines of, yes, the 1619 ethos over the 1776. It raises an interesting series of problems as all of these modern changes to the language, postmodern changes to the language do. <clears throat> as you were talking, I was thinking, what does an African-American describe him or herself as? This is a population in a community that has changed their descriptives over the years, which I have never had any issue with. I believe a people gets to claim what they want to claim as their identifier. But we have arrived at the point where we now speak of, over the trajectory of our black population, African-Americans. Uh, Asian Americans and Jewish Americans easily trip off the tongue as well, and most people would describe themselves that way. And often enough, up until most recently, with a real sense of pride, I can speak in behalf of the Jewish American community for a moment, because small addition to what you were saying, it's not just Stanford. They do some cross-references with other listed words from other schools that have gone down this route, and the first one that they cite to, I guess maybe the first school that started going down this route was Brandeis College or Brandeis University outside of uh, Boston. Is it Medford? No, that's Tufts. Brandeis is just outside of Boston. And Brandeis is named after Louis Brandeis, who was the first Jewish Supreme Court justice and worked very heartily and heavily with organizations like the American Jewish Congress and the American Jewish Committee. And the purpose of Brandeis being founded was because at that time a lot of Jews couldn't get into places like Harvard. So the idea was in Brandeis's honor to create a college 
or, or university that would uh, be rigorous and welcoming of populations that couldn't get into Harvard. And it seems to me the it's pride— they couldn't get in, they wouldn't be allowed. Fair enough. Could get in, wouldn't be allowed because—yes, fair enough. Thank you for that. And it seems to me the pride that up until 10 years ago a lot of uh, minorities in this country would have in saying I'm a Jewish American or I'm a— African-American or I'm an Asian-American. Or I'm, you know, we are now depriving that of this population. And I believe if this take is taken seriously into its logical content, we are uh, extent, we are going to now be facing a community of people that can only say I'm African, that can only say I'm Asian, that can only say I'm Jewish. And the whole notion of what it means to be an American, the whole notion of what it means to be a citizen here, the whole import that so many legal immigrants have taken pride in um, in in um, in 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 exceeding to uh, is going to be is going to be removed. And we're going to have a um, a very, very, very much more divided country, a much more divisive country from a from a from an institution that continually decries the divisions in America. The I'll, I'll throw all this out as best I can, and then we can discuss it further. That was the first thought that occurred to me as you were talking, as a as an other predictable, but uh, what was the word you used? A predictable but unanticipated? No, not unanticipated uh, a result, but well, um, but the consequences that yeah, were unan- unan- unanticipated, yeah, unanticipated consequence, yeah. consequence, but predictable, I think. Um, the other thing, interesting point about your yeah yeah unintended consequence. The other thing I think is interesting was what you and invoking your mom was saying about the challenges of an open society. Uh, China doesn't have these debates and discussions in this foolishness uh, any more than the Soviet Union did. Uh, they, they, they took pride in putting their name in their country and telling people that they were Soviets and, and the like. But it is always the challenge of the open society that – and it has been this way with intelligence and uh, psychological operations and espionage – that it was always much harder to spy on, let's say, uh, China or the Soviet Union or Cuba or a closed society, much harder to spy on them than they on us because we just hang our stuff out on the front page of the New York Times for everyone to read, right? We just disclose everything. We hang our problems and our issues in the front in the front windows of our store uh, of our of our uh, of our stores. Um, so. Th- I would just add, it's it's hard to drag the skeletons out of the closet when you hang them in the living room. Well put. So so the the notion of Marxist ideology or alien ideology taking a foothold here as opposed to Western ideology taking a foothold in a Maoist country is 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 not on an even keel, and we are much more susceptible to it. Old boss of mine liked uh, liked to ha- like to use an expression he would give to young people. Uh, when they would go off to college, keep an open mind, but not so open your brains fall out. And uh, that is, I think, the problem with our open society here is we have been so open. I think our brains are now falling out when I see lists like this and I see these kinds of controls. Um, Finally, uh, on children and how we raise them, which is something that consumes me. Uh, I'm vastly interested in this. It has been said that uh, children need to have bone density, but also moral density, and we are putting them in bubble wrap, uh, both morally and physically, and we expect them to be able to deal with gravity by the time they're 21, and they can no longer do so. So as uh, Brett Weinstein and Heather Hying have uh, written, we now have a society of uh, children in adult bodies.
That takes us up to the break, and now you get to respond when we come back any way you like. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Hugh Hallman. We'll both be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Hugh Hallman is our guest. Hugh, it's uh, it's a good idea to, to protect our children and nurture them. Uh, certainly, it's not a good idea to denude them of everything they're going to need once they become adults. And uh, one of the things we have done is taken the physical protection that we all believe children need uh, and given it uh, to them at uh, now, I think, an overextended intellectual and moral level so that by the time they go to college, uh, they are as fearful as kids were in the 60s of a nuclear weapon. They are from the idea of certain words or election outcomes that can send them to the uh, college infirmary. Take it anywhere you want well, or, I, or anything I said in the previous segment. Well, I think you touched on the concept that uh, Stanford's uh, choice of one of the words to eliminate is American yeah. under the guise that it somehow uh, reduces the value of the 41 other countries in the Americas. That is a start. It is the same philosophy that brought us the 1619 project with the same level of intellectual rigor. Right. I mean, the, 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 the resume of the person who came up with that concept uh, looks to me similar to the resumes of those people who are creating these uh, technological— She's a journalism teacher. Without, yes, of course. Go on. Without, without historic, historic credentials. But the, the piece that I want to get back to is you, you closed that first segment up with the idea uh, that the uh, page of history is worth a volume of logic— and I don't think I disproved that point. I think I proved it in this, that the underlying— I meant it complimentary. I, I understood. Okay. But I, I view that concept as a broad notion of history. And the way I view it as a concept is experience, that that page of experience, and that's not just intellectually but also physically, helps one develop— well beyond what sitting in a classroom being taught these lessons as if they can be learned objectively and poured into one's head. Uh, children don't bound from our foreheads fully formed. They have to have the experiences of life that, that, an, uh, that an experiential opportunity to learn all of the things that are going on in any given instance is profound in a person's life. And we've talked about the fact that COVID denied for two years kids who were three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, the opportunity to engage in real life. They had not just the quote learning loss of not getting taught math in the first place. Learning loss, of course, I think is a misnomer because you can't lose something you never got. And so now we have a society pretending that we have learning loss in students. So it must be the children's fault for failing to work over the summer and try to retain the information they'd learned. But no, instead, we just didn't teach them at all. So it's the adults' fault that we didn't teach them at all. And worse, we denied them experiences that would have helped them grow as full human beings. And we will suffer that for a while. But now we are seeing universities have to teach they must teach students how to become adults, those children and adults' bodies, because they did not have the experience you were describing. 
And what your monologue, I think, really touches on is that this pattern, this process is continuing. So while we have universities recognizing that students are ill-prepared to be adults on their campuses and that the safe spaces that were were created for them for the last 30 years in their schools are creating adults who can't go into the universe, well, how is that? How is that showing up now in our environments? We're seeing the use of uh, accusations about discrimination and sexual harassment and other kinds of things that are subjective in many instances being used as weapons to change political outcomes. Just in a conversation this morning where you've got. As an example, the University of Arizona, they have a dumpster fire now in their discrimination offices because you've got uh, folks of color on both sides now accusing one another of discrimination Mm -hmm. uh, and faculty and students writing huge numbers of letters demanding certain outcomes, all of them political. This is what happens when you divide and make race uh, uh, when you make or sexual orientation or everything else. It's being used when you make a fetish of it, which is why the Asian Americans are now suing Harvard in the Supreme Court. We're being discriminated against by not allowing them into the classroom. Let me pick up on some of that when we come back, because there was another article that was kind of on point about why young adults are struggling with their mental health and the issue of childhood independence. Can we pick up on that and relate it when we come back? Absolutely. We'll do that in just a moment. Portions of this show are brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. If you you are interested in investing in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market, check Y-Refi out. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and there is no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. It's an investment in a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers up to a 10.25% rate of return. 10.25%. A due diligence approved firm. You can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. Great guys uh, based here locally. They're happy to chat with you. You won't get a sales pitch. They just like talking about what they're doing. Hugh Hallman and I like talking about uh, some big ideas. And, I, you know, Hugh's part of your career. You're known as, of course, a political leader. You were elected uh, mayor of Tempe and you have served on the city council. You have advised as a lawyer. You've also built schools. Uh, you're still building schools. You built uh, some in Tempe. You're building building them abroad now. So the education and growth and training of our young has always been uh, uh, another part of your vast expertise. We were taken by a piece. I think we were mutually taken by a piece published this morning. Young adults are struggling with their mental health. And uh, the question is, is more childhood independence the answer? And it gets back to this issue of both physical and emotional bubble wrap we are putting our children in such by the time that they're 18 or 21. They're just not ready for what we used to think of as the world or the real world. A quote, if I can just set this up for you from the piece. While it's hard to point to a single cause, experts say a confluence of factors, including more time spent on smartphones and social media, less time for free play, a culture that prizes safety at the expense of building other characteristics, a fear of child kidnapping and more adult-directed activities together 
have created a culture that keeps kids far away from the kinds of experiences that build resilience. I have noticed this in children's literature and the way we are now doing children's literature away and apart from how we have always done children's literature, which was exposing them to good and evil, right and wrong, uh, even scary and safe. Um, We are now uh, applying that to their physical worlds. Masking was part of it, by the way. COVID was part of it. But I thought that that's I I, I think we need to have this discussion as a society. Yeah, I think COVID, the reason I use that in the first segment was precisely because it is the clearest example of how we've taken this safe space. uh, Everybody gets a medal attitude and applied that to the physical environment. And while we've been doing that slowly but surely, the mask mandates to be imposed on children, not to protect children, but to protect adults, have unintended consequences, but predictable consequences that are now visiting us in our society. So CNN is screaming from the rooftops that we've got our our uh, ICUs being overwhelmed yet again. Please don't send grandma to the ICU this Christmas because they're already overwhelmed and our hospitals are overwhelmed. It's the same alarm bells. And now the recognition must be that that is caused by and an, a consequence of the behaviors we engaged in over the last two years. We described during the, the COVID uh, startup that we get a flu vaccine every year because the immunity one gets from a particular vaccine for the flu depletes over about six months or so, and you lose that immunity. That's the reason we don't have a vaccine for the common cold, because the immunity that's developed from that cold response dissipates after about 90 days. And so you'd have to be getting vaccinated constantly and continuously. Well, gee whiz, doesn't that sound something uh, like that? Yeah, yeah, so just get your boosters. And now we're seeing, as I think you noted in a WAPO uh, uh, editorial, that uh, an editorial piece, that there are now studies demonstrating the difference between and the risks to people who were vaccinated against those who were not vaccinated but had the disease and the strength of the immunity that those who had the disease carries for them as protection. Three and four times greater is according to Dr. Wen. Yeah. In contrast, and and that was a person who was part of the fear and and uh, hiding uh, panels. Um, You know, you must you must lock yourself in your bedroom and don't answer the door, except for the person who's got to slide your pizza under the doormat. Um, So here we are. We've got this contradiction going on in in almost every piece. And all I wanted to point out is that that physical response to COVID is so much like and on all fours as an analogy to the emotional problems we're now facing in our children, their mental health problems that we're facing because we try to protect them, wrap them in bubble wrap, as you've said, both psychologically and physically. And I think you often quote Bruno Bruno Bettelheim, but I believe his quote that wisdom is built up small step by small step, unquote. I mean, that's an important concept. And that uh, he would go on to say, quote, children's understanding of himself and the world did not have to develop as slowly as a child's body does, unquote, is the concept people somehow view that that children don't develop physically and mentally over time and that somehow you can dump into a child's brain adulthood. Right 
without subjecting them to the experiential process process that you would experience human interactions, that you would have a heartbreak in kindergarten because Laura uh, moved away, whatever it might be. Yes, I'm actually using a um, a little biological. It was Jennifer for me, but okay. Biographical material. I had it. I I don't Um, know if it was. Yeah. Okay. A little biographical material, autobiographical. Point being that we have those experiences, and that's part of what allows us as adults to take on challenges. A good mutual friend of ours, was talk- we were just talking about the fact that, you know, this year has been a series of complete upsets. You've got the economy and all that other stuff going on, as well as COVID influx and all the, vari- the, the war in Ukraine, which, of course, poor, poor Joe Biden had nothing to do with setting that up uh, as a result of uh, being mentored by Barack Obama, who allowed the tanks to roll into Crimea. But I digress. Uh, the point is that here we are in a, in, in a year in which we've had upset after upset after upset. And only those people who have been trained by experience and their parents to understand and, and what they've gone through, how to handle that kind of change and how to roll with those punches. And if you don't know what that means, that's the point, that you've, you've not had the experiences, and we've denied our children that. So I was a paper boy. I was a newspaper boy for five years. I started when I was age nine. Fall off your bike once in a while, uh, did you? A, a few times. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't have the helmet. We didn't have them at right. the time. But th- that paper route and that experience gave me a huge base on which to build what I've done since. And, you know, getting beat up on occasion, being bullied on occasion. I'm not I'm not advocating for bullying and reward for work. But but all of those things allowed me as a politician, as a statesperson acting on the Tempe City Council as mayor. I lost some votes when I was on the city council. It was six to one a lot of times. (laughs) But how do you do that? And the answer is by not caring what those people think that I had to learn that. Decision making and standing by oneself often meant the difference between doing good and evil. All right. I promised you a little fun. This was heavy stuff. Great stuff. Let me come back with fun. It'll be a surprise. Hugh doesn't know what's uh, going to be asked of him. It's okay. It's, it's not monumental. He'll handle it. I'm Seth. He's Hugh. We'll be right back. All right, Hugh, you are a uh, advisor, you're a trainer, you are a smart man, and I came I, – I was presented a philosophical conundrum of many levels of contradiction yesterday. I don't know what to do with. Uh, a colleague gave me this gift for Christmas. It's clearly a record. It's clearly a vinyl LP record, and I don't know uh, what's in it because it's still wrapped. It's wrapped in some of my favorite memorabilia. You will see these are Washington Post articles circa ni- uh, from 1972. Richard Nixon. You have a William F. Buckley syndicated column in there. You have a picture of John Wayne sitting with Spiro Agnew. It is so well wrapped that for me to open it would spoil how great that is. You know how much I love music. You know how much I love memorabilia as well. It's probably a pretty cool LP behind there, I'm guessing. Someone who had the time and effort to do that wrapping would certainly get me an LP I'm interested in. I don't know what to do. Um, It is taped. Yeah. And are you asking me... Do I open it or not? I don't think I can open it. I think you do open it. Gingerly? Gingerly, because 
you know, I thought we'll maybe you were handing it. it to me to, to no, not spoil it. No, not that, 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 No. So I would carefully unwrap it, but it is a brilliant, whoever did this yeah. for you. My, my associate producer, David, you, you met him, uh, is, I think, a couple weeks this ago. This is brilliant. You truly have. <laughs> you uh, don't know what to do. <laughs> Decency and George McGovern uh, by William F. Buckley. Yeah. You've got the a call for a new majority, Agnew and Nixon. Yeah. Uh, I believe this is a photograph from them on the podium at the convention yeah. Yeah. is when that was taken. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Look at that picture. Yeah, Look at that picture. So poor Spiro Agnew. So, uh, poor John Wayne well, <laughs> sitting next to Spiro Agnew. Well, except that he he, he didn't die humiliated. Yeah. Um, this is a this is truly genius, right? And I would, uh, you know, you've got. Do you, do, do you or your wife have access to an X-ray machine, perhaps? Uh, well, and we can... uh, you can use this. So I would. I'm going to build off of this okay. for a serious point. All right, you got a minute. It was just this morning. I was thinking about. You've got the referrals uh, from Congress from the January 6th committee to the Justice Department, which don't mean anything because the Justice Department has to make its own decision, and recognizing the difference that the Republican Party has traveled or the distance it's traveled from from the summer of 1974 when it was Republicans who stepped forward to tell Richard Nixon that it was time for him to leave because, as Barry Goldwater, Arizona's senior senator, said at the time, if the House impeaches, the Senate will convict. That's... That's a difference and a distance we've traveled. But I would note, and it is not being considered by the press, that it was also primarily Republicans brought before the committee who said things damning of President Trump and what occurred on the 6th. Many of them lost their offices. But the point would be, it is still Republicans having this debate, and they're willing to have the debate where the left will not. Silence to the left right now is golden. And if you disagree with their narrative, you are shut down, which brings me to Twitter. Now you've got the vice president talking about Twitter is all about misinformation. Isn't that interesting? When we talked about it, we were paranoid. Now they talk about it, and it's okay. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. Thank you, Hugh. Class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.